The Biscuit is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Welcome, Biscuit listeners, to another edition of the Biscuit Podcast. I am your host for today and your producer of the podcast, Andy Go. I'm here in beautiful South Charlotte with my best, with my new best friend, Fergie. <laughs> However, Fergie is a dog, and, and as soon as I said that, Fergie lost interest in me. So I guess I'm going to have to settle for my second and third best friends, <laughs> Tim Miner and Matt Olin. I was wondering Matt what order that was. Yeah, he be. said my name second, so he likes me. Yeah, well, that makes just, sense. Just that much more than well, you. Notice that he did say I'm your host for today. It sounds like we have some bad news coming. <laughs> no, this is a resi- There's a resignation right, coming. Right. For today, I'm your host. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll see about the future. We'll but be on our P's and Q's. I promise. Andy. Right now, we are gravy. And uh, yes, yeah, so we're out here in Tim Miner's backyard, uh, covered patio, uh, socially distanced, about six feet apart, of course. Uh, but we are here in person to record this podcast because one, this pandemic has been, you know, we've been going on this for six months now. Uh, I, I, I think it's been at least six months since I've seen at both least. of you guys in person it's, together. We're due. But we're 900 due. years in dog years. It I think. really is. So, uh, and in that time, of course, Charlotte is creative has, has been rolling along. You guys have been doing great content. You've been involved in so many different things around the community. And in today's podcast, I really wanted to sit down with the both of y'all and just catch up and see what y'all have been doing uh, during this pandemic because uh, it's been a strange time for all of us, but it doesn't mean that you guys have been taking this time off. In fact, I think you guys have been <laughs> doubling down on all the different things you've been it doing. It feels that way. I mean, because I would... the need for what you guys have been doing is now even greater than it was before. And it certainly was, it you know, very interesting before. Yeah. And I mean, we're, we've been doing the same thing as you, which is if, if you're truly creative, sitting on your hands, right, is not something that you do well with. And um, just waiting for the situation to change. Nah, that's not in our nature either. So we've been, yeah, we have been busy. I think when this first started, much like conversations that we had with you, it's if you're sitting around waiting for things to return to normal, you're waiting for a situation that's not going to happen. There are permanent changes. So you might as well get busy building the bridges to the future. And I think with us too, we don't do well with asking for help. We do. We're a lot happier if we're saying, how can we be of use? And so that's, that's what we, we kind of took our three days in mid-March to lick our wounds and throw our hands up in the air and wonder what was going to happen. And then we got busy saying, okay, what can we do to put ourselves at the service of the creative community? And that's what we're going to talk about here in today's podcast is what y'all have been doing since March and also some of the things you have planned in store, not only for the rest of 2020, but you know, 2021 and beyond. Um, let's start off with this, Matt, tell me, let's just go back to March. Let's just go back to mid-March 10th, the 11th when the NBA shut down, when Broadway shut down, when everything in our world seemed to kind of collapse, what were your, where was your head at around that time? I mean, probably the best way to talk about it is to talk about creative warnings a little bit, because that event is that we've, we were four and a half years into a really nice cadence. Like every month, usually the first Friday, we gather people together. We're in the business of gathering our fellow citizens together and celebrating creativity. And so we knew we had a creative mornings event. Um, actually we had, we had one right before we were like one of the last live events in off the, 
We broke live events. I mean, it was it <laughs> was the them. Friday before everything mm-hmm. shut down. Winston Robinson was our speaker at Divine Barrel Brewing. Yeah, and it was an it was an amazing event. I mean, the energy in the room. Winston did an incredible job um, with his talk, and um, Harvey Cummings. And but then, of course, right around the corner, we have another event coming, and the world is literally changing. The sands are shifting. Well, underneath we also our had feet. three. We had the the Queen City Quiz Show live that we were doing with WFAE. That was at the end of March. Yep. We had seed 20 that we were, wow, yeah. that we were uh, going to MC and we had the teach for America event, the gala, the gala uh, all at the, like the last two weeks of March. And so in one day, all three of those were canceled. And so I think we were in a similar position to so many people, which is a, we were bummed out because we'd spent a lot of time prepping for all of that. But in our line of work, like that's how we can, that's how we monetize our, our nonprofit. That's how we get to do what we do is that's one of the ways we made supporting dollars because we're an earned, you know, an earned income model where donations comprises the smallest amount of money that we get. So that was not only dread that the world was changing, uh, and a lot of kind of unrealized reality of, wow, we've worked really hard on this and it's not going to happen down to, uh, how are we going to, how are we going to monetize ourselves? Like, how are we going to yeah. keep moving forward? So to Tim's point, we spent three days licking our wounds, throwing our hands in the air, which sounds like the latest dance craze to me. I don't know <laughs> what we would call that dance, but, uh, it was called March 15th. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the Ides of March. Uh, but very quickly, I think creatives, they thrive under duress to a certain extent. I mean, we knew we had to evolve. We had to get creative about what happens next and creative mornings. I mean, Tim and I, we were and our team were determined to just keep that train moving. So we said, what is a, what is a virtual, you know, zoom based version of creative mornings look like. And I think over the last six months, we've done a pretty good job of capturing the spirit of creative mornings, that sort of civic variety show approach to it. And, but, but bringing it to the online platform and still having people feel like they're seeing old friends and making new friends and getting inspired and and connected. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I feel like we've, we're, we're still learning every month, but I feel like we've done a pretty good job of capturing that spirit. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think with, with that aspect, um, you know, with managing the Charlotte chapter of, of creative mornings, we, we decided early on that this, we're not, we're not trying to replicate what was done in the, in the live setting. We want to create something new. And in that I get, we wanted to also get better at online engagement, which has been something that we've continued to do or advise other people on as well, which, I mean, if you, (laughs) if, if you've been doing online engagement, like hosting and planning events on zoom or other platforms for more than six months, you're an absolute expert because (laughs) we're all, you know, we're all pioneers in that, in that field. And then I think too, we had to look at the other programs that we have, the hug grants, we kept that going. And, And in fact, Sponsors kept coming saying, I think feel like $250 micro grants are important, more, you know, more important now than ever. So we want to keep doing that with the biscuit, our media channel, we went for a, for three months straight, we went from one issue a week to three because there were so many creatives that were desperate to tell their stories to try to figure out who they were going to be and how they're going to be supported in this new world. We, we matched that. And I would also that say that we, we felt like we needed to counterbalance all the bad news that was happening in the world with more and more of the good things that were happening. You know, I know one pledge that we made early was through zoom and through, um, 
you know, supporting people with the biscuit and incorporating them into live events like creative mornings or others that we were doing. Um, we made a pledge that we were going to emerge from the pandemic, whether it was three months, six months, hopefully not much longer than it is now, but knowing more creatives in Charlotte than ever before. And that has ended up creating partnerships and relationships and opportunities that, that didn't exist. So as much as it's been a difficult time, we're, we're, creatives do well with a challenge, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just another opportunity to create strategize and make something new. Um, but it hasn't been easy. And I think it's, um, it's been a very collaborative time. And that's what I've been excited to see is that what's come out of creative saying, how can we help one another succeed? And that my, your success is not a knock on my success. It's not a, it's not a, a debit. It's a credit to us all when we work together. One of the other things that came up uh, shortly after the pandemic and, and then really more in response, of course, to the protests happening uptown over the murder of George Floyd was of course the black lives matter mural, which uh, Charlotte has created played a huge hand in making that happen. Now, I don't want to spend too much time talking about this because there's plenty of chatter about that everywhere else. But, you know, Tim, tell me, tell me a little bit about how that project came to mind and not only how it came to mind, but why that project represents so viscerally the work that Charlotte's Creative does. The, the Black Lives Matter mural project, what's interesting about it, I think, is that it was deceptively simple in how it came together because truly it, it was something that we got, we saw a tweet from Taiwo Jayoba, um, who's the assistant city manager and the, the head of city planning on Twitter on a Saturday morning. What if, Charlotte wrote Black Lives Matter at, at Trade and Tryon Street. And this was only a day or two after Washington, D.C. put their it, mural down, which was the first. It, it was. That tweet came in on the Friday night after that happened. So probably around 24 hours after that. And I didn't see it um, until Saturday morning. And I, you know, reached out to Matt and we're like, I think we might be able to broker a deal here. I think we can bring the city together with creatives to do it. So my first uh, thing to do was I, I uh, sent a text to Sam Guzzi of Brand the Moth and I was like, if I can make this introduction, can you make this happen? And she was back with me in minutes. Yes. And so I reached out to Ty and his his staff, Rachel Stark and Monica Holmes and was like, I think think we got the horses to do this and we are off and, and running, no pun intended. But what you don't see there is that that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't spent time over the last couple of years getting to know Ty. He's been a speaker at Creative Mornings. We've supported other projects that they've been done. been on the Biscuit Podcast before. Absolutely. He's been a guest on the Biscuit right. Podcast. Sam Guzzi is someone that we got to know because Matt emceed Seed 20, and we were really interested in what she did, and so we we had uh, written stories about her in the Biscuit. You've interviewed her on the Biscuit Podcast, and so we've built up credibility there and, an, and a familiarity with one another, right? And, and trust. And trust. And they, and Sam had done the same thing with Dammit Wesley and the whole crew over at Black Market Charlotte, where they had a trust. So much in Charlotte, and I'll, I'll get off the soapbox in a second, but so much in Charlotte, I think, is very directional. The business community teaches us to see each other as assets. You know, I need something from Andy. So I'm going to reach out to Andy because I, because I, I need X and he can supply X and then we're done. It's very transactional. And the creative community, I think has modeled 
What if you just get to know one another? What if you do off the ball work? I don't need anything from you, Andy. I just want to get to know what makes you tick. Mm. And if I can, novel concept, I want to help you, you know? So I think if I had reached out to Sam the first time ever saying, I need something from you, I don't think that would have gone very well. If, if Ty, if we hadn't spent time getting to know Ty where we didn't need anything from him and we hadn't supported the city or at least to help them share their message, I don't think that that text would have been returned on a Saturday morning. And so that's, that's, I think the lesson is we were able to bring people together, not because we have magic superpowers, but because the, we and the other members of the creative community are committed to collaboration. And then that enabled us to really tap into the passion and give those artists a very visceral way to share how they were feeling on the inside. I mean, what's remarkable and Matt and I did not organize the artists was when Sam and damn it, put the call out. Like those people responded with their time immediately. Yeah. If I were to say one other lesson that came from that project, it is this idea that anything really is possible if the will and the passion is there. I mean, the idea that 72 hours was sufficient time to pull off a project of that magnitude that then had ripples that actually went international, that went global, that caused cities like Seattle and Palo Alto and Melbourne, Australia to reach out to us and say, can you help us figure out how to do that too? That happened in the span of 72 hours. And when you think of all the moving parts that go into that, the legalities of the, of, of, of what the city would have to approve the C dot CMPD closing the street down, you name it, that, that all happened in three days. And that's because the will was there. The power's there and the, and, and the passion was there and the trust was there. Yeah. That's the key ingredient I want to say is trust. Um, and trust is not something that's formed overnight. You know, if, if Ty hadn't trusted us, if we didn't trust him and the sincerity of his message saying, what if we did this? If Sam, you know, if we didn't trust Sam and Sam didn't trust us, if they didn't have, and if the artists didn't have relationships and trust built up with black market, Charlotte and, and, and brand the moth, we'd be sitting here going, man, that would be so cool if we had a mural like that. But because that trust which has formed over time due to consistency and frankly, a lot of, a lot of selflessness, everyone in that circle, has done something for the other without hope of reward in the past. Um, and, and that's, that's the real key lesson I think from it is we've got to, got to be in relationship with one another to build that trust. Yeah. I think that's my key takeaway from what you're saying here too, because um, it wasn't just the action of what happened. It wasn't just you sending the text message out. Like you said, that text message to Taiwo would have fallen flat if you were just Joe from Cotswold or something. Yeah. That would have been 60 seconds out of my life that never went anywhere. But because you had spent time in the past uh, authentically and genuinely reaching out to these people and getting to know them and not in a transactional nature, like you mentioned, you You've actually gotten to know who they are, what makes them tick, what's important to them. And that's built trust um, from them towards you so that when that moment came, that moment of action, when things had to happen and you can't go back and plan and build those things in an instant, the table was already set. The, the, the most, the, the framework was already in place. All you had to do was just be the catalyst to send that text message. And then like a well-designed Rube Goldberg machine, everything just fell (laughs) into place after that. I love that. That's such a great take home for, for, from that experience. I I would say the, the real key takeaway for me is I, I trusted that it existed in the creative community. You know, I, I, 
had all faith that the individual artists were going to follow damn it, Sam and Hannah, you know, on their journey. What's I've been really encouraged by is the is there's a new wave in the city. Um, you know, Ty and his team trusted a lot of people to put paint on the street. I mean, and that's not a small bullet that they could have taken one way or the other. And it's not come without some controversy. Not everybody loves it. And not everybody is thrilled with the fact that that block's been shut down, you know, through uh, next weekend. But um, that's exciting to live in a city where I, I think the the leadership is at least very interested in what's possible. Well, I want to use that, uh, the, the mural as a uh, transition to my next uh, topic that I want to bring about, which is another uh, project of yours that uh, again, shows how Charlotte is creative is trying to invest in creatives and uh, individuals um, around the Charlotte area. And that is the invest in creatives fund, which you, which you all have just announced. So, Matt, tell us a little bit about what is the Investing Creatives Fund? So it really represents a, a partnership uh, of sorts or a collaboration between the county, the city and the Thrive Fund, which are which are private sector dollars that that Huma Call and others have um, raised and are dedicated toward really supporting the larger cultural and artistic um, or nonprofits here in Charlotte. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, COVID has been really hard on the creative community. It's been hard on everyone, right? But the creative community in some respects has been disproportionately affected, negatively affected. I mean, some of our fellow creatives were the first ones out of a job and they're going to be the last ones to return to their job. And that is their skill set. That is their zone of genius. That's their contribution to the world is, is that, that talent, that creativity that they bring. So it's really, really tough uh, on them. And so, Unfortunately, a lot of the other COVID relief funds out there, a lot of those creatives have fallen through the cracks. They haven't been deemed eligible. They just don't check the right boxes to say, yep, you're a good candidate for these relief funds. So we're just super grateful that the county put in a million dollars, the city put in a million dollars, and the Thrive Fund put in a million dollars to create a $3 million pool specifically to support and give relief, offer relief to creative individuals and artists small nonprofit, creative nonprofits, and, and those that are involved in uh, uh, arts, science, and history, and the larger nonprofits that are involved in, in uh, arts, science, and history in Charlotte as well. And so that is, uh, you know, something that we're very much in the trenches on. We're trying to figure out, all right, inside of the CARES Act fund rules, because this initial 2 million of the 3 million comes from CARES Act dollars. And so we need to make sure that we're creating a system of application and deployment of these funds that play within the rules of the CARES Act funds and that get these funds deployed as quickly as possible, uh, you know, to these people that need them so, so badly. Yeah. And we're doing that in collaboration with Foundation for the Carolinas, um, the Arts and Science Council and Hugh House. So this isn't, you know, we're really excited to be on our team. We were invited to be part of it. We were invited to make uh, statements to both the city council and then Matt and Day Lee presented with Michael Marsicano in front of the county uh, to kind of get that last million dollars. And I, one of the reasons I think we were at the table is we've worked really hard. Like Hugh House has pushed very hard for equity and to make sure that we understand as a community that um, yes, there's funding out there, but often it's disproportionately you know, it allocated. We see that 
and support them in that mission. And in ours, we really have been on the forefront of saying, look, these these gig economy creatives, they are small businesses. So you don't, you know, they are no different than a cupcake shop or a plumber. That's how they make their living. And that enhances the economy that pushes our city's innovation forward. They employ people, they buy goods, they need to be supported. And what's different, I think, about gig economy creatives is you can't see them. You know, what's the impact of COVID is is what's not happened, not a vacant storefront. I can drive by a restaurant that normally is packed and see that there's no cars and there's a closed sign in the window and know that that business is hurting. They need my they need federal dollars with, you know, a an actor who's not acting or a set designer who's not building a set or a graphic designer who's not designing. There's no physical thing that the community can see and say, wow, that's not happening. So it's very difficult for the average voter and citizen to realize that's how people make their money. I mean, we already have a problem, right? That most people think that a creative job, like being a podcast, you know, producer and host is maybe a placeholder for what you're going to do when you really want to grow up and get a, a real job as a banker. Oh my gosh. I feel so sad. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we already have that mark against us. Those of us who do things that are not seen as real jobs. And I'm using air quotes liberally there, but now we're invisible too. So it was really important for us. And I know for Hugh house ASC and the, and the foundation was like really leading the charge on, we believe that we need to do something to help these individuals specifically and small, you know, nonprofits have been excluded from a number of the funds. So how do we make sure that they're taking care of, especially those that are employing people and creatives? I want to shout out Hugh house, of course, uh, Dave Butler, Daily, Davida Galloway, of course, uh, they've been doing some fantastic work and really uplifting uh, artists of color uh, and minority artists around the around the community. So shout out to Hugh House. Um, now, if you are uh, a gig economy worker or an individual creative, you can't. Uh, the applications aren't open yet to apply for money. That's that's coming very soon, correct? That's good. in fact, Tim and I have a meeting in one hour with with the team, Hugh House, <laughs> ASC Foundation, to uh, to really uh, roll our sleeves up and figure out, okay, what are the next steps here to get these funds um, out there into the community? We anticipate as of this recording, we anticipate that the applications will go live online uh, by mid-October. That'll be at investincreatives.com. That's the URL you're going to want to go to. Investincreatives. Investincreatives.com. You can go there now to read a little bit about the fund and to sign up with your email for alerts. Yeah, that's Um, the important. Right now, don't wait. Go there now and sign up so that as soon as as the process is laid out, you'll know about it. And then the goal is to have the funds, uh, the awards announced to um, to those that will receive funds by mid-November and get those out as quick as possible. And let's say I'm a painter or a sculpturist or musician. What sort of information am I going to have to provide to apply? Well, th- this is all to be announced, but certainly there will be some sense of sh- showing the, some of the loss that you've experienced during COVID th- thus far. Um, I can't speak to what the exact sort of, you know, paperwork and proof of that will be yet because I can't speak on behalf of something that we haven't actually figured out that's happening this week, but there will be proof of loss that you'll have to show in some way. Yeah, definitely be able to, I I think, articulate the business case, right? Um, It's, and again, that's not going to be the only litmus test, but this is about the impact that COVID has made on your ability to be solvent, you know, to, to pay your light bills, to move forward. But 
it's a, it's a bit of a, a tricky message for us because what we don't want to do, this is not charity. You know, if I'm giving, if I'm giving funds to support a traditional small business, the business community doesn't see that as, as charity. They see it as support. We see it the same way. If I'm helping a creative, you know, bridge the gap and get ready so they can keep going in 2021, that's, that's an investment in them. I, I do want to say one thing. It's that I hate that we don't have the, that, that, the deadline and the plan right now, but this has been something this was put together on a rocket ship. You know, it's been a month on, Hey, do you think we could to, okay, we've secured the the funds. And so we're working furiously to get it all ready. The team is. So it sounds like we're going to have to come back here, Tim, on your back patio in about a month and record another podcast uh, talking about uh, right. how to apply. Maybe a space, space heater. You think it may be a space heater <laughs> at that point? Need it. I, I'm in shorts. I feel good. You don't, you don't feel good. Uh, you know, my, my blood's a little thinner than yours. Oh well, so. Is that a way of saying I'm fatter than you are? No, that is not. I think it's a way. Saying. Andy, it's a way of saying that I'm fatter. Oh my than gosh. Yours. I, would, I need a relationship counselor to come in and listen to these you podcasts. Do. And you give, absolutely give, do. Give me a they would probably say what our friends have been saying for 30 years, which is we should have broken up years ago. <laughs> you guys, oh, well, <laughs> the codependency couple. I love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So awesome. So we've talked about what you guys have been doing since uh, the pandemic hit. We've talked a little bit about the Black Lives Matter mural, and we've even talked about Invest in Creatives Fund, investincreatives.com that uh, uh, individual creatives and gig economy workers are going to want to check out here in mid-October. I've got a couple of quick questions, though, for you guys to Uh-oh. wrap up this episode. Quick hits. Yep. And... We're going to do something different this time. I'm actually going to time your answers. You are. Okay. I'm actually dangerous. going to, with my watch, make sure you guys don't go past two minutes. Okay. On okay. Your so you're going to give us some sort of a sign when we're almost I'm there. I'm going to give you uh, a question. <laughs> you're going to have two minutes. And yes, I'm going to give you the wrap up sign. And I don't know, maybe I'll even do uh, a little ding or something like that. This could get messy. When, uh, this is great. We, we should probably get, for next time, we should get the, the everyone actual prepare, bell out. And prepare for Matt and I to make no coherent points. <laughs> Well, all right. Well, let's start off with this first question, which actually seems somewhat weighty uh, for two minutes. But uh, in two minutes, talk about the rise of creative trucks like Rosalia Torres Wieners, uh, Red Calaca Studio truck, or of course, the Hope Fives truck with uh, Adrian and Emmanuel. Two minutes. Go. Yeah. So it's been really exciting to see creatives taking solutions on the road. And if you boil it all down, it's because... Charlotte's got a really funky geography, right? We've created a city. We look at the Crescent and the Wedge. And for those who haven't aren't familiar with that, it's that we have a, a pie-shaped part of Charlotte that has all the resources generally and a large Pac-Man-sized section that has very few. These creatives want to, if they can't have a physical space where they go and present services, you know, in the case of Hope Vibes, it's homelessness. In the case of Do Greater, it's tech training with Rosalia. It's, it's art instruction. An art, the, art division, an, uh, uh, art, art activision, art, art of it. Yeah. But any, she's an artivist, but they, they develop these trucks, these mobile centers that can go where the need is. And so it's a neat solution, but it also shows we got a long way to go to rejigger and to, and to make sure that there is true equity of resources across Charlotte. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just, it's just another manifestation of, of innovation, right? I mean, these folks, they could set up a brick and mortar place for the, for the incredible work they're doing, but the fact that they're, you know, basically tricking out these awesome 
food truck type vehicles and taking their mission on the road and bringing it to people all over the community that need it. That's creativity in, in motion, literally. Yeah. That's the trick too. I think oftentimes we say to people who need resources, come here to where the resources are. This is turning that on its head and saying, you know what? You already have undue burdens. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to go see how you live. I'm going to be in your house. And, and that's a sign of, I think, respect and awareness. That's really important. Yeah. Particularly. And that, How'd we do? still have about 20 seconds left. Really? Really? Well, I will say when you step into the back of these trucks, I'm going to go ahead and fill it up. It feels like you're stepping into another world back there. I love stepping into the back of Rosalia's truck, you know, and Coach's truck. And And Demi Clark's uh, truck for She Built the City. city. Yeah, it really is. It feels like you're stepping into the mission of the organization. It's a pretty magical experience. Well, I want to kind of just follow up on what you're saying, Tim, about how important it is to bring those services to those communities, particularly, say, Hispanic and Latino communities who have to worry about uh, ICE and other immigrants enforcement and language specifically barriers. Yeah. language barriers and everything else who are specifically looking for them while they're outside of their place. So without them having to leave their safe area, Rosalia is bringing them something that's going to enrich and enhance their own experience. And I love that. There's one last thing I'd say is that it's not just enough to have a utilitarian truck. All four of those have decorated them. They've hired artists or creatives to come up with really attractive designs because to bring beauty and to show the people they're serving, look, this isn't a rinky-dink operation. We are bringing something of great value. See, we to were you. we were good. We we were inside it two minutes. And now we're <laughs> no, outside no, 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 no. Too much. Andy, Andy took ten seconds of my time. It's true, I was it's just true. reclaiming it. All right, uh, next question coming up, uh, Matt. As our local thespian, our resident thespian, I want you to talk about the state of stages or. Ayatsi, as you call it. Well, so, uh, well, two different things there, because the state of the stages is something that's a, that's a, a piece that we ran in the biscuit where we commissioned a local photographer, Heather Liebler, to take photos of a handful of our stages. Charlotte has a ton of beautiful, beautiful uh, playhouses and stages, and we picked five of them to start. So Heather took photos of the Night Theater, the McGlowan, uh, Northwest School of the Arts, their beautiful new theater, the Neighborhood Theater, and uh, Theater Charlotte. And what we really wanted to do is capture a sense of what does the stage look like right now? Obviously, it's empty in most cases, but also what does the audience chamber look like right now? Because it's not just about empty stages, it's about empty seats in those theaters and the, and the absence of that energy that happens between people on stage and people out in the audience. The, the photos that came about are pretty haunting and they really sort of make you realize how desperately we all want those theaters to be uh, filled again. You know, it's part of our lives. You know, it's very difficult, I think, to to envision how much theaters have been impacted. But to see it there, you know, there's a symbiotic relationship between the audience and the physical space. And um, yeah, to your point, it's very haunting. It's it's it drives on the point theaters and stages need people. They need actors. They need background, you know, people that are working backstage. And when it's not there. Yeah, it's broken. By the way, if you step into theater, Charlotte, right now, speaking of haunting, the set from Cat on a Hot Tin Roof is built and sitting on that stage and no one got to see it. So it's like a ghost of a production that never happened. Wow. And and so we just wanted to capture that and, and hopefully stir up something inside of readers to say we need to support the folks in the in the theater 
and, and even in the music uh, realms as well. Last thing too is the is the uh, Sandra Levine stage at uh, um, at the Sarah Bell Gambrell mm-hmm. Center for Arts and Civic Engagement at Queens. They unveiled that beautiful facility, which took two years to to transform from Dana Auditorium. And they they unveiled it right before COVID, so it's this incredible space just waiting to be used and broken in. Speaking of theaters and raising money for those organizations, the Neighborhood Theater has a pretty cool auction going on right now, too. Tim, can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So um, right before COVID, they had a show at Neighborhood Theater where the act inadvertently uh, stomped on the stage and broke their 20-year-old plywood stage. I did stage. not know that that was the, part of it. The, leg, the, yeah, the foot and the leg went right so, through the stage. So they were already, you know, they were already in the process of replacing that stage. They had to and then COVID hit and they've I mean they've been dark for a long time and so what they've decided to do is they took sections of the floor and they just kind of threw out with the help of one of our good friends uh, Maddie Moe at uh, CLT Graffiti um, hey if we offer pieces of the stage to artists, do you think they'll paint on them and then we can auction them off? And they had an unbelievable outpouring. So right. What they're doing right now is they're releasing um, sets of art every day on their Instagram page. And you can vote in increment or you can bet in increments of $10 and all those funds are going to go to keep the neighborhood theater going. And it's what's been truly amazing. It's just a very, uh, visible symbol. The creative community is so generous with, with itself, you know, visual artists see the pain that performing artists are going through. Musical artists are seeing the pain that, that, um, that sculptors and dancers are having. And so they're collaborating. It's just pretty amazing to see how, how generous they've been with their time and their skills. So real quick, if I'm interested in, in bidding on one of these pieces, what do I go do? Well, you're going to go to the Neighborhood Theater's Instagram page. Uh, they're going to be listed out on, on the feed. And if you see one you really love, which you will, you're going to bid, bid, uh, bid, bid in increments. I said you're right. It's bid. In increments of $10. And Instagram is a little funky, right? Like it doesn't sometimes put comments in the correct order. So you really got to sort of go through the feed and make sure you know what the, the highest bid is at that point. And then up it by 10 bucks or more if you really want to support the creative community uh, in that way. And then hopefully you're the winning bidder. I think they usually close it off at like 10, uh, 6 PM that yeah. day. I think the other thing too, is if you can't bid or it's just not in your, in your financial ability to do share, you know, there's so many things going on out there. If you can't financially support someone, support them with your time or your network. So do do go ahead or say to a friend, tag a friend. I think you love this piece of work. And hey, while you're at it, go ahead and sign up for the Save Our Stages, uh, both the national and the local uh, initiatives as well. Hmm. So let's keep it in the Noda area, too. Let's go right across the street to the old Sunshine Daydream space, which just vacated uh, to make room for a uh, a new gallery or at least a temporary gallery that's uh, hanging out in that space called the Tough Ass Crew Gallery. Tim, you got a big smile on your face, so I know you want to feel this. I'm just I mean, to be honest with you, I'm just getting to know these cats. And just to to tell you the the story behind it, um, I got a the world's greatest press release um, last week, which said this is a press release that only three people will ever get. Charlotte is creative. 
Queen City Nerve and uh, the Noda magazine, because y'all are the only ones I know who support visual artists in Charlotte. Now, that's not entirely true, but I took it. You know, I, I was I was there the next afternoon and Tough Ass Crew is a group of artists. I mean, and it ranges from, you know, studio artists to graffiti artists who met up on Instagram. They've got um, different Instagram groups and uh, working with the ownership of the Evening Muse, uh, Stencil Spray, who is the uh, kind of organizer of all this, got the space, put the call out. Okay, for the next three months, we have this space and possibly longer than that. I, actually, sorry, 60 days and hopefully longer than that. You can sell your work. We're going to keep 40%. You keep the rest in here. And they also asked artists, would you come decorate this space. And in the course of five days, more than 20 different artists came in and painted original works all around the, the space. Amazing. And now they're open six days a week as a pop-up art gallery. And I think it's their way of keeping Nota weird, but it's really showing that the, the connections that exist between the visual art community in Charlotte. It's kind of like what you were saying with the neighborhood theater uh, auction initiative too. It's just another way that creatives are coming together to sort of persevere through this crisis together. So shout out to all those amazing creatives and brother Joe at the evening muse. I mean, he's, he is just always there to support. Joe Coolman, owner of the evening. Muse. Oh yeah. Yeah. He just, they're all, they're, they're just bringing it to life. They're manifesting. They're sort of the embodiment of collaboration and commitment to each other. Well, and showing that connection too, uh, you know, they knew that, that the artists were having to work in the neighborhood theater to paint their, their works, a lot of them. So I said, well, you can work over here. So for a while, there were neighborhood theater art auction pieces that were hanging out in that sunshine daydream space and then being carried back over again. It's just, um, it's awesome. I also love the fact that the call was put out and, and there's a reverence. If you go there and you talk to them, there is a reverence for some of these underground artists. A lot of the people that, that painted on the walls or are selling their works are incognito artists. So there are people who do guerrilla art style. They paint under bridges. Um, one of the artists, um, has a, uh, a really cool thing that, that, uh, I don't know if it's a he or she quite honestly does, but they take books that are written by people who might be racist, like Paula Dean. <laughs> and then they put, anti-racist messages in the books and then drop them off at free neighborhood libraries all over, all over Charlotte so that when you pull out your Paula Deen book and you want to make, you know, perfect uh, buttermilk biscuits, you're you're reminded of her track record. Oh my gosh. Do we do we have do we have time for one quick Noda trivia trivia moment? Let's make it quick. Okay. So I haven't personally vetted this piece of information, but oh, I have it on good, good knowledge here. Good, a good source. So apparently nestled in between the neighborhood theater and evening muse is a restaurant called Boudreaux's. That's that's accurate. Okay. So my understanding is that one, Mr. Hugh McCall behind the thrive fund, which we talked about a, few, a little while ago, that that used to be a bank. And that was the first bank that Mr. McCall ever worked at. I, I, you know what? I don't know that. I don't know it for 100% um, sure. I've put it out there and maybe we could dig it up and see if it's that, true. We can that look is an at interesting it. piece of history. What though, I know about say. Boudreaux's is that uh, Kim and I went on one of our first dates there. So, I mean, I have a soft spot for that 
for that place. And I mean, you think about Boudreaux's in Noda in like the late nineties. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was like spent a lot of time there. I used to play nothing, there. There was nothing going on. And it was, you know, it it was going into the wild, wild wests of Charlotte. It's you know, true. Back Kevin then. and all those folks, man, they even they they're pioneers. All right. Say? Well, we're gonna have to do some re- reconnaissance on that one. That'll be maybe a future podcast. Yeah, we'll circle back. We're gonna check Matt's accuracy on that one. <laughs> but I want to wrap up here just by giving you guys each just the last word. So anything on your minds, anything in your hearts that you guys want to say before uh, we wrap up this episode. And um, Tim, I'm going to start with you. So I, I would encourage people during COVID just get out and drive around Charlotte. It is you're in your car, you're safe. So if you're somebody who's really worried about the virus, you're in your little pod, right? I, I started a tradition. My daughter's gone with me. I've gone by myself. I'm about to do it with my dad on Sunday mornings when the light is beautiful. I just get in the car and drive to a different neighborhood in Charlotte. And it's becomes so easy here to just stay in your little bubble, to stay in your two to three mile radius. That's if you're in the, in the, in the wedge, by the way, if you're in the Crescent, you got to drive or go you got to you got to go a long way for groceries and all that. But if you're privileged enough to live in South Charlotte, you never have to leave. Leave. Growing up here in the 90s and the 80s, you had to drive all around Charlotte and see how everybody lived and see what the resources were and see the old places that have been here a long time. That's not in vogue now. So get in your car, fresh air. It's beautiful. And go see a part of Charlotte. You've never, go get lost in a part of Charlotte and see the neighborhoods, see the restaurants, see the businesses, see the landmarks. It's going to give you a whole new appreciation. I've fallen deeper in love with Charlotte because of those Sunday morning trips. And Matt Olin. Uh, well, I love, I do love the message of get lost, get lost. <laughs> Just go get lost. <laughs> given me that message many times, but uh, no, that's okay. A, all right. That's a good one. I got to advocate for myself. The narrative that you create now is that I'm this angry man <laughs> that follows you around and just runs you hey. down. So either you're a masochist. There's some or, truth there. Or you're greatly enhancing my dark side. All of this is true. <laughs> you guys uh, don't know that I'm actually undercover with your relationship counselor. You are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dr. Schwartz. You're yeah, on she, retainer. She sent me here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so I guess what I want to put in here at the end is something that our friend Varian Shrum uh, shared with us recently. She's the community manager out at Camp North End. And we I just had a conversation with her on the Biscuit Blitz, which I think will be in the, I think it'll be this it's, week. It's actually this, this week's. Yeah. And uh, she was sharing that, you know, as someone who also is in the business of impacting her community and gathering people together, you know, COVID's been really, really hard for, for her. And so at one point she woke up and she realized that she was, she caught herself wishing the days away. And the second she realized that she was wishing the days away, which, as she said, could easily turn into months and weeks. And suddenly you've wished an entire year of your life away. Right. She decided, nope, I got to change it. So she committed at the hundred day to election day mark. She committed to doing one thing every day to support the election, to support democracy, to support small businesses in Charlotte. And I just found that to be really exciting that she grabbed a hold of that narrative and took control of it. And, and, uh, and so that was inspiring to me. Um, and so I, I just want to pass her message on to all of you, which is to say, let's not wish these days away. Let's take advantage of every single day to help others to, to, to really sort of be in control of our, of our futures here. Cause we, we can control it in and, some and ways. She brought up a really important thing. And this is probably what both of us should have said. 
vote. We're not going to tell you how to vote. Although if you read the biscuit, I'm pretty sure you understand how Matt and I think you should vote. Um, but this is an important year. If you're the kind of person that thinks that 2020 has been a, been a dumpster fire, um, either way it's nothing's cured by voting, but let your feelings be known and educate yourself on the, on the issues. And if you're educated and you truly believe in something, vote for it and show your conscience and, and, and know that you're, that you're an active citizen. Um, that's, I, I only have disrespect for people who don't vote. I don't care if you vote one way. I do care if you vote the way I don't want you to, but I'll respect that you did anyway. So Amen, just vote brother. and do the census. <laughs> yes, do the census. Matt Olin, Tim Minor, Charlotte Andy is creating. Andy Go. Andy Go. <laughs> it's go time. Man, I've been Actually, said that he in a is while. ready to go. Yeah, he is ready to go. <laughs> he, it is go time for Andy. That's why I've been giving you guys the wrap up signal here for about 30 minutes. <laughs> but uh, that's okay. Uh, but thanks again, guys. Uh, Tim, thanks so much for letting us hang out this here on your fun. back patio and uh, record. And no doubt we'll do this again. Sounds great. See you. Cheerio. Thanks again to you, our listener, for tuning in to The Biscuit Podcast. That's all the time we have for today's episode of The Biscuit. Remember to subscribe to The Biscuit Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review so that other creative charlatans can hear about us, or better yet, just tell them yourselves. Finally, get the scoop on Charlotte's creative scene delivered straight to your inbox every week by subscribing to The Biscuit email newsletter. Do that now at BiscuitCLT.com. The Biscuit Podcast is produced by Tim Miner, Matt Olin, and Andy Go of Gojo Studios. Music by Harvey Cummings.